This is On The Tee. Brought to you by Canteen Vodka Soda. Ready to drink, ready to go. Now here's your host, Anita Marks on 98.7 ESPN. Well, on this Easter Sunday, it's Pat O'Keefe with the pleasure of sitting in for Anita Marks. Happy Easter to all of those who celebrate. I'll be with you for the next hour, getting you all caught up on the comings and goings on the PGA Tour. I'll be with you here on 98.7 ESPN New York until noon. After 9 o'clock, we'll touch on the NBA playoffs, the Yankees, and the Mets. Things continue to be interesting for the Yankees and uh, everything else going on. Uh, 1-800-919-3776 is the number. And again, it's Pat O'Keefe in for Anita here on the Tate. Well, it, it is the first show post-final round of the Masters, post-Scotty Scheffler's victory last week in Augusta, Georgia. His first Masters championship, his first major championship, and kind of the next of the up-and-comers in the world of golf. And we have seen a steady stream of these guys over the last decade, many of whom are still considered young stars on the PGA Tour. Scheffler is the latest. You go back to the predictions and the prognostications before the first round of Augusta a week ago Thursday, and Scheffler's name was prominently featured as someone who could win, who could break through, and who should be in the mix. Obviously, names like Colin Morikawa included among them, Xander Shoffley, Will Zalatoris, Victor Hovland. This is kind of the new crop of whom we thought the winner would come from that grouping. And as it turned out, it did. And as you kind of take the hindsight view of what transpired, Scheffler took the lead on Friday and he never relinquished it. And to be honest with you, it never really got that close. I guess you can consider a one-shot lead after the second hole over Cameron Smith in the final round close, and that was close. Smith started that final round trailing Scheffler by three strokes. He came out birdie, birdie. Scheffler came out par, par, and the important thing there is that was one of two times where I thought that it could go the other way for Scotty Scheffler. He passed both of those tests in the final round, after Smith got to within a stroke after two holes in round number four, Scheffler then went out and birdied hole three while Smith bogeyed hole three. And that was the turning point. That was essentially it for Cameron Smith. I know it was officially done for Cameron Smith in his implosion on the 12th hole, but it was the third hole that was the turning point in the Scheffler-Smith battle, the final pairing on Sunday. So that was one test that Scheffler passed. And then the other, of course, was Rory McIlroy's run. And McIlroy had the best Sunday, uh, eight under par, 64, making one of those classic runs up the leaderboard. And because it's Rory McIlroy, you see his name on that leaderboard, and it holds a little bit more weight. There's a little bit more gravity to it. It's not just a run-of-the-mill guy making a run who you figure is going to sputter out at some point. Because it was Rory McIlroy, you kept an eye on it pretty early on. He started well, and he played tremendous golf through that entire round, culminating, of course, with the shot of the day when he chipped in out of the bunker on 18 to finish his round of 64, right before Colin Morikawa did the same thing, chipping in from the bunker on 18. That was an incredibly exciting five-minute sequence on the 18th green. 
But McElroy gets to minus seven while Scotty Scheffler is still at minus 10. And Scheffler has three holes to play. Now, a three-shot lead sounds good. It sounds great. And, and it is. It's a significant thing. But McElroy was done. He was sitting in the clubhouse with his feet up. And he had applied all the pressure to Scotty Scheffler. And Scheffler came out when his lead had been trimmed to three. Now, think about that. A three-shot lead. You bogey. Now, all of a sudden, your lead is down to two. Again, McElroy's done. You have a two-shot lead with two holes to go. One bad tee shot. One penalty shot. And all of a sudden, you could find yourself in a tie atop the leaderboard. And that, of course, was best-case scenario for Rory McIlroy. But Scheffler passed his second test without much drama either, putting up a birdie right after McIlroy had finished off his round of 64. Scheffler pushing his lead immediately back up to four. And that was pretty much all she wrote. From there, it was all cosmetic for Scotty Scheffler as he uh, wears the green jacket for the first time. And, and I guess if you look at this in hindsight, we should have seen this coming. I know there's a lot of talk about Morikawa. Xander Shoffley is a guy who's always in the mix. Um, Will Zalatoris played extremely well at the Masters last year and this year, by the way. Uh, kind of a late surge for him to get into the top five, along with Colin Morikawa. Names like Brooks Kepka, he's always a factor in the majors. John Rahm. I think before the week anyway, now it's probably Scotty Scheffler, but before the week, John Rahm was the consensus number one player in the world. He had a rough go of it, but Scheffler came in having won two of his previous four events. He won the Waste Management Phoenix Open. He won the Arnold Palmer Invitational. He takes the lead at the Masters on Friday and never relinquishes it. I mean, if you look at that, from what he's done in 2022 only as a 25-year-old, that's a pretty dominant run. That is a resume befitting of the guy who right now is the number one player in the world. And that's what he is. And Scotty Scheffler winning the Masters, the question now becomes, what's next? Because we've seen this before, right? Not necessarily, yes, the Masters, but just majors in general. When you have the young star who you've identified as one of the next big things in the sport, when he finally breaks through and wins that first major, it's very exciting because then you start to think about what's next for this guy. The last guy we saw this with was Colin Morikawa, and he won the PGA Championship during COVID, and then he wins the Open Championship last year, and now he's got two in the books, and he's halfway to a career Grand Slam. Even going back to who's now considered kind of an old man on this tour because he just started his and finished his 15th Masters tournament, and that's Rory McIlroy. And he hasn't won the Masters yet, but McIlroy was that up-and-comer about a decade and a half ago. And when he broke through with his first major, it was extremely exciting, especially with what followed after that in short order. Same with Jordan Spieth. He won the Masters for the first time added another major or two after that, and he was kind of a comet coming out of the gates and has fizzled a little bit. Uh, he's in the top 10 this week at the uh, event, the RBC Heritage in Hilton Head, South Carolina. But it can go one of two ways, and that brings me to the guy who actually was the story of the week last week, and that's Tiger Woods. And the more we are separated from 
the era of utter dominance of Tiger Woods. And the more you look at what golf has to offer now in terms of the young star, the big star, the next star, the further and further we get away from Tiger Woods' dominant heyday from 1999 through 2008, the more you appreciate just how far and away he was better than every single golfer around him. And the one thing for Tiger Woods that you have to appreciate even more than the 15 major championships, than the four green jackets, than everything else, is the consistency. Because you look at the stars in the game right now, the Brooks Kepkas and the Bryson DeChambeaus, the John Rahms, the Colin Morikawas, what Tiger Woods did, he did it every week. He did it week in and week out, and he especially did it in the majors. And what Tiger Woods did last week at the Masters of everything he's accomplished in his career, which we're all thankful is not over, as it turned out. I think what he did last week was the most impressive thing I've ever seen him accomplish on a golf course. Now, last week, Tiger Woods teed it up at Augusta, and that, of course, throughout the week was the story. And it started on Monday with people wondering whether or not he could actually go through with it and play in the Masters 14 months after that horrific auto accident in which he nearly lost part of his leg. And then by, I'd say, the middle of the day Tuesday, it looked pretty good that he was going to at least give it a go, and then he made it official, of course, and there he was on the tee on Thursday where we have seen him so many times since the mid-1990s when he was still in his teens. And the fact that he goes out and shoots a one under par after the first round, the fact that he makes the cut. I mean, if you watch Tiger Woods play on Thursday, let alone Friday, Saturday, or Sunday on that, as we all know by watching it so many years after years after years, even if you haven't been there and I haven't, but you just watch how grueling that course is. I mean, that's one of the many things that it is known for. The elevations, the up and down hills, climbing, walking that entire course. And for somebody to do that with Tiger Woods' current physical limitations and still play at a high enough level to make the cut in his first event in what? A year and a half, his first official PGA Tour event in a year and a half. It was an unbelievable show of determination, toughness. I mean, it's funny. And we all know, and anybody listening to this is a golfer, an avid golfer, or an avid golf fan. And golfers are not known as the tough guys in sport. And that's primarily because while you're competing in your sport, no one's trying to take your head off, you know? No one's hitting you like you're on ice skates in a hockey game or on a football field. Yeah, but there is a certain level of toughness that goes into golf. Like, there's a certain level of toughness that goes into every sport. And in golf, the mental toughness in so many ways is as important, if not more important, than the physical toughness. And just in case anybody needed a reminder, and again, anybody listening to this has likely watched and enjoyed the entirety or the vast majority of Tiger Woods' career, at least I hope you have. In case anyone needed a reminder of the physical 
and mental toughness of Tiger Woods, it was on full display last week. I mean, think about where he came from. The accident that he was in was on February 23rd, 2021. So we're talking less than 14 months ago that he, number one, didn't know if he was going to live or we didn't know if he was going to live. Number two, we didn't know if he was going to have to have part of his leg amputated. I mean, we remember the reports. I remember, and this has happened a couple of times with Tiger Woods, unfortunately, throughout his brilliant career. And when he's, I mean, look, Tiger Woods has been um, in the spotlight, in the news, one of the most prominent people in the news for more than half of my lifetime. You go back to 1997. I guess that we knew who he was before he won his first Masters. But let's just say 1997, his historic first win at the Masters. From that point on, Tiger Woods is one of these guys that when you see his name flash on a television screen at an info bar, you know, on a sports channel or on a news channel, you stop and you read it because it's interesting. Everything's interesting what happens to this guy. And there are obviously three situations that I can remember non-golf related in which that happened obviously the first one was right around thanksgiving in 2008 the accident he was in involving his wife uh driving on the road near his home and obviously that kind of ended the first chapter of his career and entered him into another chapter of his career the second time was Memorial Day a couple of years ago when he was arrested for DUI because he was driving under medication. And then this was the third one. But this was the one. Look, the first one kind of took away the innocence. All right. I don't know how many people thought there was still a lot of innocence there, but I know there were people that thought this was, you know, one of our sports heroes. You put him up on a pedestal and that first incident took that away. The second one, the Memorial Day, was I think there was a sense of of rock bottom for him. That was before he had come back and triumphantly won the 2019 Masters. By the way, I'm rusty. I apologize. In the first segment, I said he had four green jackets. Let me correct myself. He has five green jackets. I'm a little rusty. I used to be great at counting things like championships and this and that. And for some reason, the two years of COVID has taken that away from me because time does not exist in my world, like it used to before COVID. So I've got to get that back. But Tiger Woods has five green jackets, not four. I digress. The second incident that I'm talking about on Memorial Day kind of was sad. It was kind of like a sense of rock bottom. You thought at that time that this guy's never going to win another major. You're not even sure if he's going to be a high-level golfer again. And now, remember the mugshot? How bad he looked in that mugshot? Um, I mean, you talk about a picture telling a thousand words. But the third one... The accident in February of 2021, I and many thought, oh, my God, this guy might this guy might die. You know, and, and we've experienced that, too. I mean, I, who can forget the Kobe Bryant day? There was a sense, and, and this was just about a year after the Kobe Bryant helicopter accident. There was That was the initial thought. Oh, my God, this, is this how it ends? And, and thank God it didn't. But then you thought maybe the career was over and there's going to be too much trauma to that leg for him to ever play a high level of golf again. And that wasn't true. He had to have his leg completely reconstructed. And then what came after that? That Sunday, golfers wore red to honor him and all that he had done for the game. It was very meaningful. It was very touching. But it also had the sense of kind of a memorial. Again, 
will we ever see this guy on a golf course again? And I think if you polled anybody at that point, everybody would have said no. The important thing is that this guy can try to at least live a normal, healthy, happy life with his family. And then by November, we see the first video of him hitting a ball. And we're like, oh, that's interesting. You know, he's got the compression sleeve on his leg. But you're like, wow, he's, he's hitting the ball again. It's great to see Tiger. I remember it got like 8 million views within the first 48 hours or something like that. It was incredible. And then in December, he plays the event with Charlie, his son, in Orlando. And they played pretty well. And then you start to think, well, you know what? Maybe he could be a part-time golfer. Maybe he could be a guy who plays the majors and a couple of select other events. And lo and behold, we get to last week in Augusta, the perfect soft landing spot for him where he has had so many of his great moments in his career, including the first one in 1997 when he won the Masters at the age of 21. Within the gates of that club, he is their own. And it is the perfect place for him to make a re-entry like he did. But he still had to take care of the rest of it. He still had to walk those 72 holes, and he was clearly physically compromised. And I don't even care about the scores that he put up on the weekend, the 78-78. I don't care about that at all. This man made the cut. Brooks Kepka didn't make the cut. Jordan Spieth didn't make the cut. Bryson DeChambeau didn't make the cut. Now, I understand Bryson was injured. He just had wrist surgery following that event. Xander Shoffley didn't make the cut. This is what I mean. Why you have to appreciate the consistency of Tiger Woods. All of those names that I mentioned, those are the stars in the sport right now. In the prime of their careers, they could not make the cut at Augusta. This year, Tiger Woods, he doesn't miss the cut at Augusta. He doesn't miss the cut at the Masters. He plays the Masters. He makes the cut. Even now, in his mid-40s, on a reconstructed leg, 14 months after a horrific accident that nearly took his life, he made the cut at Augusta. And that, among other things, is what separates Tiger Woods from everyone else that we have seen play this sport. Time for Inside the Numbers, brought to you by Tiza. Well, we check out the RBC Heritage in Hilton Head, South Carolina. Fourth round, fourth and final round coming up later today. Uh, your leader, Harold Varner III, at minus 11. A huge round three for him as he went minus eight yesterday to vault to the top of the leaderboard, but it is a very tightly compacted leaderboard. 12 golfers within three shots of the lead and a lot of big names. Guys like Patrick Cantlay, he's at minus 10, one shot back. Shane Lowry also at minus 10. Matt Kuchar at minus nine. Jordan Spieth at minus eight. Tommy Fleetwood at minus eight. So it should be a very entertaining final round of the RBC Heritage in Hilton Head, South Carolina. That's Inside the Numbers, brought to you by Tiza. Stay focused and feel energetic with Tiza Nutrient Pouches. Placed between your cheek and gum, no tobacco, no nicotine, no calories in seven flavors. Visit TizaEnergy.com and use code ANITA25 for 25% off your first order. It is our first on the tee since the Masters finished up last week. Scotty Scheffler, of course, wearing the green jacket for a year. Uh, David Behrman, the deputy editor of sports betting at ESPN, kind enough to give us a few minutes on this Sunday morning. David, how are you doing today? Good, good, good. Uh, happy to be on, and hopefully Anita's enjoying the sunshine of South of, of Florida down there, but uh, happy to talk to you, Pat, this morning. How are you? I'm doing great. You know, with Anita's energy, I'm sure she's enjoying whatever she's doing this morning. I think we <laughs> both know that. Um 
as I had said, our first show since the Masters wrapped up, I know it was a big part of the conversation with Anita last week on this show. Uh, but now as we can look back and see what transpired, especially in that final round, and I guess the top of the leaderboard wasn't overly eventful, but it does finish with Scotty Scheffler's breakthrough. Uh, I guess my first question for you, David, and, and this is always interesting when a young player, whether it's Jordan Spieth or Colin Morikawa or Brooks Kepka, wins that first one, somebody who you've had your eye on, and, and Scheffler certainly falls into that category. I guess my question for you is what's next for Scotty Scheffler? I think, Pat, that's a great question. I think what the Masters showed us is Scotty Scheffler is a whole lot better, and I think people gave him credit for. Um, people sort of forgot that he had three wins in, in six weeks heading into the Masters, and he's winning every which way, whether it's a stroke play event, whether it's a strong field like the Arnold Palmer, or whether it's a, a match play event like he did at the WGC in Austin. Uh, but I do think that shows you that, that when he won the Masters, and he admittedly said he woke up, Sunday morning, uh, crying, telling his wife he didn't have it in him to do this. Yet he did, and, and he did it in impressive fashion because not only did he have a big lead, but then the lead shrunk to one shot multiple times, and he was unflappable at that point. You know, you've got to give credit to Cam Smith for, for closing that gap a couple of times, but then Scotty turned around, and he did what he needed to do. And, yeah, we all saw what he did on 18 green with the missed putts and all, but, you know, you're talking about a 24-, 25-year-old who – it's about to put the green jacket on and had like a four shot lead before he made those putts. I think what's next for Scotty is, is there, it's endless. What, what could happen with him? We've seen it before. Jordan Spieth, nice and young wins a couple of majors. Rory McIlroy wins a couple of majors, but what we've seen with all of these guys, not named Tiger Woods is there seems to be limits to how far they can go because Rory hasn't won one in eight years. And you've seen the struggles that Jordan Spieth has had. So I think what's important for Scotty Pat is that he learns from what has happened to guys like Rory and Jordan, that although they have won multiple majors, they then fell off the cliff for a little while. So he's got to keep his head on, you know, take his victory lap as they come, but then also remember he's got a lot more golf to be played. Yeah, and you mentioned it, David. The two most important holes of his final round were they come out, he's got a three-shot lead to begin, and Cam Smith birdies one and two. He parred one and two, so he was doing fine. But all of a sudden, that three-shot lead is down to one. And then the third hole was really the turning point. I know Smith went away for good on the 12th hole. But when Scheffler birdies three and Smith bogeys three and the lead goes immediately back up to three, I thought that was a huge moment for Scotty Scheffler. It was a huge moment, and the way it happened was even bigger because, you know, his drive was horrible out into the trees, and you're like, all right, he – he, like you said, he parred one and two, but Cam Smith is making his move and then a bad drive on three. Now it's on Scotty to be able to turn around. And he did get a break from being able to move his ball away from uh, one of the tents and one of the scoreboards. But then he took advantage of that. And, of course, he holed out from, from off the grid for birdie. And you're absolutely right. That was the key point for Scotty to look adversity into the face for the first time with a guy who's behind him who had birdied one and two. They had, in essence, they had the exact same shot. The balls were right next to each other. In fact, it's the first time I can remember watching somebody actually have to mark their ball off the green so somebody else can hit. I hadn't seen that in a professional event. We, you and I do it all the time. Hey, I'll just move my ball while you hit. But to actually see someone put a tee in the ground off the green and to do that, and they had the same shot, Scotty holds it. Cam puts it too far and misses the putt. It's back to a three-shot lead. And, yeah, it wasn't over until the 12th hole. That being said, you had this guy named Rory McIlroy who was going bananas behind uh, ahead of him that also was closing the gap. 
Scotty had no idea what was going on there, but was able to put all of that behind him and win in, in, in pretty much easy, impressive fashion that he could allow shenanigans on 18 to go away, and it didn't really matter. But he did what he needed to do with all the pressure in the world because there's no more pressure than standing over a one-shot lead. So I mean, he, he looked it right in the face multiple times and, and did what he needed to do to win. And this is a guy that, quite honestly, came – I mean, I know him because I follow golf a lot – to the general public, came out of nowhere. My brother is a perfect example. He's someone who watches from afar. He texts me on Sunday of the Masters and goes, who the heck is this guy? And how has he won so many events? And he's number one in the world. He, never, he had never even heard of him. Um, I obviously have, you have, but it goes to show you how somebody can work as hard as he has to come from behind, and all of a sudden you have four wins in seven weeks, and you're number one in the world. And, oh, by the way, you have a green jacket as well. Yeah, it's happened very fast. It's not like it was Sean McKeel or Ben Curtis with the lead on Sunday, but uh, it, it, it happened incredibly fast. Now three wins in his last five. Our guest is David Behrman, the deputy editor of sports betting at ESPN, uh, usual guest on this show. It, uh, Tiger Woods, David, um, I was just saying before you came on, Just I thought it was the most impressive thing that I've ever seen him do on a golf course, which obviously is saying something because we've seen him do a lot of incredible things on a golf course. But going forward for Tiger, and I know he's already committed to the Open Championship. Um, he filed for the U.S. Open. Whether or not he's going to play, we don't know. We hope. Can he be a play in the betting circles going forward, or is it just nice to see him out there? I think he can be a play if you do it the right way. And what I mean by that is he's not someone that I'm going to be taking to win the tournament anytime soon until he gets fully healthy and he's back in shape and, and he returns to the, if he returns to the tiger of old, but I still think he can be someone you could win money on. And I bet him pretty heavily, as I said on this exact show to make the cut. Um, and, and the odds were not, they weren't giving him much respect he was plus money to make the cut at an event that he made the cut 22 out of 23 previous times on a course that he can play blindfolded and left-handed. And I think you can win money in, in markets like that. And, and numbers are not going to be the same for the U.S. Open or the British Open because of all the amateurs that are involved. But I do think you can play him in matchups. I think you can play him to, to make the top 20 on certain courses. You look at St. Andrews for the Open Championship. You know, that's a course just like the Masters. He knows extremely well. Hasn't played it as often since they only go there every five years. But it's his favorite golf course. He loves it. So that's a course where I think he can play well. I don't see him winning it. But I do see him making potentially a top 20, especially when, you know, a third of the field has amateurs in it. Um, but I do think he can play it well and, and, and cash in top 20 and 30 markets while he gets used to playing with what he has. So back to your original point. It's great to see him out there. It is one of the more impressive things of the long list of things that Tiger Woods has accomplished. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be there in 2008 in Torrey Pines watching him win on what we found out was one leg where he had a torn ACL and, and multiple fractures to his leg. And he was able to win in, in, in 91 holes, which, again, none of us knew that was the case at the time. This time around, we knew he has a very damaged foot and leg from, from the car accident. But what we know now about how he won 2008, obviously a lot younger, but looking what he did at 46 years old, being able to play four rounds at Augusta coming off a car accident where he basically almost lost his leg is one of the more impressive feats you'll ever see. And I think, you know, younger golf fans who didn't get to see Tiger Woods in his prime, David, I think they need to kind of take a lesson from 
what we saw last week at Augusta. Because you look at guys like Kepka and Shoffley and Jordan Spieth, and these are not only top players in the sport, but guys who are currently in the middle of what we, we would all consider the prime of their careers. They don't make the cut. Tiger Woods, like you said, I know it's Augusta. He could play a blindfolded and left-handed. But at Augusta, Tiger Woods doesn't miss the cut. And that consistency is something that separates him from the guys who are the top players in the sport right now. And I just think it's a reminder, David, that we're not going to see that level of consistent brilliance probably ever again. You're absolutely right there, Pat. And and for those that didn't see Tiger way back when, when nothing could stop him, he's going to make every putt that mattered. He's going to play in every event, no matter how healthy or unhealthy he is. Don't really understand what had to do to get back on that course and, and, and play four rounds at Augusta. And you're right. He beat guys half his age who weren't injured. Um, and, and I actually tried to compare it to, to Bryson DeChambeau, who is injured and just had surgery the other day and is out for a couple of weeks. You had two injured guys. One is half his age, and, and, and Tiger won by 11 shots. He, he beat Bryson by 11 shots, and Bryson's battling a, a wrist injury. Well, Tiger almost lost his leg. And, and this isn't any knock on Bryson because anybody with a broken wrist probably shouldn't be making the cut at the Masters. But Tiger, his sheer perseverance and – and even listening to his interviews, this is a different Tiger Woods than we saw 10 and 15 years ago who wouldn't even let you close to inside what he was thinking or how he was feeling. And just the fact that Tiger did everything in his power to be able to get back on that course, which, I, to be honest, Pat, I didn't think he was going to play up until the day he announced he was playing. I didn't think he was going to make it. Um, and I didn't think we were going to see him much this year at all. And even if we see him just at the majors, if we see him maybe – at the U.S. Open, obviously, we're going to see him at, at the Open Championship. Even if we see him a handful of times, hey, anybody who watched Tiger growing up knows how special it is to see him back out there right now. And I'm with you, David. I also won some money betting him to make the cut last week. I wasn't 100% sure he was going to, but there was no way I was going to bet against him making the cut because who wanted to root against that storyline last week? So that ended up working out. Um Let's take an early look at the PGA Championship. It's a month away, a little more than a month away, May 19th through the 22nd at Southern Hills in Tulsa. Uh, how about an early preview and some names that you might like in that event? Well, I mean, it's hard to not like a guy like Scotty Scheffler. seems to be able to win everywhere. And you do worry a little bit about, you know, what happens after you win your first major, how long that victory lap is in terms of, um, you know, whether he's going to be able to, get back on the course, concentrate enough. And, and you saw it last year, Hideki didn't play great after he won the Masters. And you see it a lot of times with guys who win their first major, all of a sudden they, uh, they, they don't play as well the next couple of weeks because of the fact that they're, you know, still, still loving the fact that they put a green jacket on. One guy that I am looking at, and this probably shouldn't come as a huge surprise since he's won many majors before, but seeing the way he played the end of Augusta is Rory McIlroy. I mean, he's getting 12-1 to 1 right now. Uh, Scheffler and Rahm are the favorites at 11 to one, but I just like the way Rory is playing. And I think if a couple of putts had gone different ways, and there was one hole I watched on Friday with Rory at Augusta where he he three putted from about four feet, Jordan Speed style. Um, if you if you take a couple of those double bogeys away, all of a sudden he's right there with Scotty on Sunday. Uh, Justin Thomas, another guy who has been coming on of late. Justin's issues have and always will be putting. If he can figure out the flat stick, I think he's right there with the rest of them. And, of course, you can't sleep on Cam Smith. He's proven time and time again that he's right there with Scotty Scheffler. And he could have won that, that Masters in green jacket if things had bounced a different way on 12. But 
those are a couple of names that I'm looking at. And, you know, of course, we have a couple of weeks before we're there, but a guy like Shane Lowry is playing awesome. Uh, I, I expect him to show up and play well. And it'll be interesting to see what if Tiger, I doubt he'll play, and he's at 40 to 1, but it'll be interesting to, to see how he plays at that event as well. David, I'll get you out of here on this one. Interesting uh, opportunity this week at the RBC Heritage in Hilton Head. There's a pack leaderboard, as I mentioned earlier, uh, 12 golfers within three shots of the lead. Varner is on top at minus 11. Just strategy-wise, when you have an opportunity like this where there's a tightly packed leaderboard, there's a lot of options, do you look at it as an opportunity to kind of hedge your bet a little? Do you focus in on one guy? How would you approach something like this situation today in Hilton Head? I think it all depends on what you have live coming into something like today. You know, with me, I actually already have tickets on Shane Lowry as well as Corey Connors and Joaquin Neiman. So I have a couple of guys up there. So I'm probably going to, <clears throat> sorry, put a little bit on Harold Varner to third because he does have that lead and he's one of the guys I don't have. Um, I also took Patrick Cantlay on, on Friday afternoon. So I think it all depends on what your portfolio looks at. If you don't have anybody currently at the top of the board, I would look at guys who have been consistent all three rounds and nothing against Varner, but he obviously shot eight under yesterday and didn't do as well Thursday and Friday. But I think a guy like Shane Lowry today who plays well in conditions that you might see this afternoon, it's supposed to be rainy and windy starting at two o'clock about when the leaders tee off. Uh, he's a guy who plays really, really good in bad weather conditions, so he's a guy that I would focus on today. David, great job. I really enjoy your work, and uh, thanks for a couple minutes this morning. Absolutely. Appreciate it, Pat, and uh, enjoy the rest of the day. You too. David Behrman, friend of the program, deputy editor of Sports Betting at ESPN. 